0: We hear you're looking for Candyman, bitch.
1: (laughs) Welcome to the Nick Taylor Horror Show. Tony Todd is a deeply beloved horror icon with a very well-earned place among the pantheon of horror actors, including Robert England, Kane Hodder, and Gunnar Hansen. If there was a horror Mount Rushmore, Tony Todd's face would be right in the center of it, and it's entirely because of his soulfully terrifying performance in 1992's Candyman. The subject of Candyman has been very hot in the past couple of weeks, ever since Jordan Peele announced that his production company will be helming the next iteration. A lot of people thought it was going to be a reboot, but according to Variety, it'll be a, quote, spiritual sequel to the original, and it'll even return audiences to the original neighborhood of Cabrini-Green. A lot of people, myself included, are actually pretty relieved that this is not going to be another remake or reboot. Because we're sick of these reimaginings of the horror IPs that we all fell in love with. As fans, though, we still want more from the original films, but we do want to see new life breathed into them. Different perspectives, different storylines, different directors, but hopefully in this case, not different actors. It hasn't been announced yet, but my fingers are tightly crossed that in hoping that Tony Todd will return as Candyman. The truth is, nobody could have pulled off such a memorably chilling performance as Tony Todd, and nobody else could possibly do justice to playing the hook-handed character that Tony turned into an icon (laughs) single-handedly. You get it? I'm really hoping he returns as Candyman. That would be amazing and would entirely make my year. In other news, Tony just accepted a Lifetime Achievement Award at the New York Horror Film Festival for his body work across such films as Platoon, the Night of the Living Dead remake directed by Tom Savini, The Crow, Candyman, the Final Destination series, the Hatchet series, and most recently Hellfest. Tony also just celebrated his 64th birthday. Happy birthday, Tony. Speaking to him was a tremendous honor. We, uh, we talked a lot about... His acting process, movies, the state of horror, music, and he gave us his two cents on the Jordan Peele Candyman. Now, for your listening pleasure, his name will be a tale to frighten children and make lovers cling closer in their rapture. Say it five times. Here's the legendary Tony Todd. Say, sounds like I a there's So many
0: batteries around here and hidden microphones. I don't know what's live. <laughs> Got me booby trapped.
1: I uh, I don't want to miss a beat. Good, thank you. Great. Um, you don't have to put on the headphones, but it helps kind of no, mod- modulate. More professional. Okay? Absolutely great. Love it. Look at Fantastic. That. I hear those oh, resonant wow. tones now. All <laughs> right. So. Yeah. You have one of the best voices in Hollywood. We <laughs> gotta, got it. We got to be able to hear it. Let's go for it, Tony Todd. Dennis. Pleasure to meet you, sir. It's a pleasure to be here. Fellow Manhattanite. Yeah. Awesome. So as an actor, you, you always refer to yourself as a theater actor. Absolutely. What is it that the stage gives you that the screen does not? What keeps drawing you back to the stage?
0: Um, well, it's not that it's exclusive, but it's just more of it uh, is honesty. Uh, theater operates from, uh, you know, I, I got my master's in theater. So the way we were trained, we did all kinds of cardinal arts. By that, I mean... We did fencing at five in the morning. We did horseback riding. We did the ballroom arts. We did all those things that they don't emphasize anymore, but to help complete you—not only as an actor, but as a Renaissance person. Mm. And you know, the 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 way we were taught, we, we studied all the classic works of literature: from Shaw, Ibsen, Shepard, uh, etc. And uh, you you look at a script and you try to get to the truth of whatever that particular theme or story is, and that can apply, not only and I try to apply it in my film and TV work Mm -hmm. to scripts I get, whether it's Flash, Zoom on Flash, or whether it's Candyman. I try, I have to find the truth first. I'm not in it just to elicit thrills and spills and shocks and titillations. Right. For if you do the truth first, it's going to be that much more impactful. And working on the stage helps
1: you with with finding absolutely finding more truth. well,
0: and it helps you develop that three hundred and sixty degree perspective. You mm-hmm. know, that it's not just a slice, or not just a caricature, yeah. or not just a, you know something that's thrown away. You want something that's that lasts forever,
1: right? Hopefully that's really interesting so it's the kind of renaissance sensibility that the stage demands from
0: somebody the demands from you, It demands respect and it demands telling the truth i mean when you do a play you're doing eight shows a week you have one mm-hmm. night off per week so no matter what you're going through and actors go through the same thing that other human beings do right we have to pay our bills we have to do our laundry we have to wash the dishes mm-hmm. some days you may not feel like being at the theater at seven o'clock but you're committed you have a contract and you never know what that audience is going to be right right so you they don't know what you're going through, and they demand that when the play starts and the curtain rises, that you're at ground zero, right. and you're willing to commit to that character. Mm-hmm. So I, I've been lucky in terms of theater. I've been able to work with Athol uh, Fugard, a famous South African playwright who's won two Pulitzers, and I was on stage with him for a year and a half. One of the best experiences of my life, play wow. called Captain's Tiger. And then the second most important was with uh, August Wilson, the late, great August Wilson, who's did one play in the African-American diorama of each decade and I originated King Hedley II and that was an amazing three years of working with a master we had Max Roach in the room doing our music Max I'm a jazz guy Uh look over to Max Max has got his fingers entwined behind his head and he's just like bopping in rhythm if you felt it you know Yeah. August on the other hand was all his wordsmith so he was just listening for every word that he wrote Mm. the if and or is a but Right. That you have to get honored to, to connect the thoughts together. And so you had all
1: these people simultaneously. simultaneously wow. Just feeding as a, a
0: feed pool. So I would like I look for more of that in the film world. Right. And sometimes I demand it as I get further into my career and I start directing and producing, I'm gonna have that. Right. Just that company of just joy. Mm-hmm. There's no once you have that company there should be no competition within that circle of people. Right. You're all there to commit to
1: a higher purpose. Right. Which is great truth. Yeah. And I think they're working on a stage because you're among a, a, a whole troop of other actors. You're all in it together. There's a right. sense of unity that Definitely. stage actors have together that I think translates to working on a set Absolutely. beautifully. It's that Absolutely. same sense of camaraderie. And I think that it's
0: respect for yeah. each other. Right. Trusting that whoever was responsible for bringing this eclectic, eccentric group together, mm-hmm. that he knew the chemistry levels to a to. because right. you got to have that. You can' I'm not looking for a, a, a utopia world where everybody's just blissed out. Right. Uh, you want and embrace those differences, but you know, we respect our differences. Though. Right. We can have a conversation, but you know, just because I may be on the opposite. Side of the spectrum doesn't mean I hate you, mm-hmm. or that we can't get along, or that we can't coexist. Right,
1: it just means we're different. Yeah, and it teaches you how to thrive among those differences, Absolutely. all in all, in in support and favor of of the art itself.
0: Like those dragonflies and butterflies that fly in the field of flowers—they're not trying to hurt the flowers. Right, they're pollinating. Yeah, yeah, pollinating. Very cool. thats cool. We should do a jazz show. We should. Are we ready to pollinate, ladies and gentlemen? <laughs> <laughs>
1: I would listen to that show. (laughs) That would go on on Saturday nights for sure. That's right. (laughs) That's right.
0: Helium balloons and a
1: little incense. Uh Uh-huh. And some bells. (laughs) (laughs) Sign me up. Mm -hmm. So I want to talk about Hellfest. Mm. I uh, spoke to Greg. He mentioned that when on the first day of set, somehow because of scheduling difficulties, you both had not met until day one. Right. And then when you did meet for the first time, he had a pre-existing backstory for your character. Mm-hmm. And then when he told it to you, you told him yours. And your your the backstories that you both had established for this character independently were mm-hmm. practically were identical. Were practically
0: identical. Right. And that's when you know you have synergy. Yeah. yeah. So That's great. I even, I, you know, my character's name is Stephen Dunderville, who I just picked something very strange and weird of a guy that would be running a uh, haunted house festival two months out of the year. And mm-hmm. that's his only job. I- but he does it on a big scale. So, you know, you know those guys. Oh, yeah. And uh, But uh, unfortunately in this world, in the Hellfest world, things go wrong.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> and I just want to move on and, like, <laughs> swallow my losses and, like, maybe change my name again and pop up someplace else. And right. At least that's the plan. I got to say about Gregory, you know, um, he's directed before, but he's uh, best known as an editor. You know, he famously edited Get Out, one of the most successful horror films in history. Yeah. When I first showed up on set, you never know what you – what to expect I mean you know you're hired I usually like try to have a dialogue with the director before we go on set at least have lunch coffee face to face so that you know we clear out some stuff mm-hmm. image wise didn't have to do that with Gregory I showed him a set we're in the middle of a water the biggest water park in Atlanta which they had access to for like eight weeks and as soon I'd never been welcomed so warmly and effusively by a director in my life Wow! I come on set he says this is what is going to be great I'm so excited to have I mean you know here in Hollywood you know, you get a lot of people that, like, get full of themselves and if you get the little civility things of just saying hello to somebody, welcoming them to their world, and that we're here together to make a story and tell this thing to affect the audience. Right. Gregory said, this is how we're going to shoot it. I got five cameras that are going to be swooping down. I'm so genuinely excited that you're here. Uh, Jordan Peele says hello he's a big fan all these things you know which just helps an actor of course put their best foot forward Mm -hmm. and say yes I want to deliver for this guy first of all I've never tried to do a job where I've turned into performance right maybe sometimes some have been less than others only because of a certain excitement level but I try to give 100% Mm -hmm. you have to Uh, but he made it easy to be able to do that him and Gail and her they're both terrific partners so That's and great, I, and they have an extraordinary young cast. That you know, Bex is on the rise anyway. She's appeals to unicorns everywhere, apparently, and uh, <laughs> uh, it's just going to be wonderful. That's and, great. You know, we had some millennials, and I—I I mean, I have a daughter who's beyond millennial, but you know, millennials are important. They feel like they're short shifted, and yeah you know and they, they, you know, it's good whenever they like something yeah <laughs> they're a tough generation like, they are a tough i don't like anything <laughs> <laughs> wait a minute i thought you like avocado toast no that's yesterday dad stop <laughs> it's not teller toast What's wrong with you? It's kale spread it's toast.
1: Kale spread toast.
0: We <laughs> cream it up first and make a little
1: spread. That sounds disgusting. Yeah, it's got to it be gluten free well, bread. Though. Have
0: you ever had broccoli uh, cream puree? No, uh, it sounds good though. It could be good, but the sound of it is sometimes exciting. I got a. I got someone that's very. Uh, you know, into taking care of me. So I've had my share of that. Oh, that's and good. And it, it makes you feel better. So there
1: you go. I got to check it out. Check it out. Broccoli cream puree. Yeah. Okay. Just
0: underneath like a duck or
1: salmon or something. Uh, okay. Yeah. So it's like a side dish.
0: Yeah. Or, or duck, a bed. Duck, a bed. There you go. It. It.
1: A bed. I'll be looking into that for yeah, sure. Definitely. So you... Better
0: than having a kale mattress. <laughs> Broccoli bed every <laughs> It'll time. It'll be crunchy, right?
1: <laughs> I'm just turning over it down. It'll be good for you. Get a guess, good healthy maybe. night's sleep on that. I guess so. <laughs> so you had said that the the key to a good franchise is synergy between the actor and the director.
0: Yes, and or writer creator.
1: Right. Yeah. And it sounds like you've had a number of these in the past. with a few. Adam Green, and yes. probably with Clive Barker. Definitely. What are the and keys? Bernard Rose. Hmm. Uh, what are some of the keys to establishing that type of collaborative synergy? I know it's rare, but yeah. how do what what could directors and writers do better to to better include their actors so it's more of a collaboration? Well, uh,
0: using Adam Green as an example,
1: I first met Adam at
0: a fan event. I think it was here in Burbank Airport. Oh wow! Um, years ago, back when it was Fangoria, mm-hmm. and uh, three years before he made Hazard, he was a fan in line, and you know about a couple of things and talked for me about half hour and told me he wanted to be a filmmaker. I'm an optimist. So and I've always used to teach. So if anybody tells me they're interested in thing, I'm gonna give them time to express that and to tell me what their dream is mm-hmm. and what their obstacle is. So he laid it out and then three years later I get a call saying this guy Adam Green has got a film, it's hatchet. It's only one scene, but he would love for you to take a look. I actually turned it down because I wasn't didn't, wasn't really interested in doing a cameo at that point, but uh, he called me, got his, my number, and convinced me that, you know, in the second one, he would make it up for me. So I took a chance. And I also got a call from Kane Hodder and Robert England saying, you know, we're going to do it. Come on, do it. Well, wow. You know, so he, he was able to convince some other people that, yes. So anytime a person can have that kind of influence, they got to respect it. Yeah. Adam is so, I don't know, you've met him, talked to him? Have not met him yet. He's such an infectious. Fun loving person. You know, he's a little dog that he just adores. He collects <laughs> props, you know, from right. his stuff. He lives among his props. He just loves film. And and that and that translates and carries over. Mm-hmm. So you, you got to have somebody at the top that, like, just loves to work. You don't want to be in a situation where somebody's just doing it for a job or. Right. Whatever's going on in their personal life spills into their professional life and you're just, you know, a miserable person to be with. Mm -hmm. You're on set. You're there 12, 14 hours a day. Let's have as much fun as we can have. Right. And also create a safe space where the actor and different department heads can feel that they're uh, able to do their best work and put their best foot forward. Mm -hmm. So you
1: do that, you have the battle is over. Did you remember the conversation you had had with him at the conference when he called you to convict
0: yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. And mention. I reminded of him, him. I cool. said, "I'm so proud of you that you actually made your dream come true." Because you know this is a tough business. Yeah, a lot of people want to be in it. Uh, a lot of people get in it and then burn out. Uh, a lot of people don't. The thing about the you know the school I went to it was a famous school, Trinity Rep Conservatory. Won two Tony Awards for excellence. I had 23 people in my graduation class. There are three of us that make a living. In our particular class, uh, one is the sound man, one did the phantom, several tours, and then me. And I get used to get calls of people, so what's the difference? How did you do it? And we didn't do it. And I don't know what happened. I got distracted by life. I got married. I had to get a job. And I said, well, I, you know, I, and these are really talented people. Right. I said, it's perseverance, you mm-hmm. know, chutzpah, being a New Yorker. Yep. I know where to go to Zabar's if I need to <laughs> or fairway. Stop." You know, just just not having an expiration on when you're supposed to excel or when you're supposed to bloom. You know, just having confidence that it's going to happen. through the time that it takes, get that side job that's going to make sense for you as actors. Mm -hmm. Bartending is always good, particularly in New York City. Right. I found a great bartending job where I had my cash every night, and I could also go to my auditions. It took maybe three years before I finally landed, which was Platoon, by the way. Right. I got Platoon right out the box bartending. Okay. Wow. I met Oliver Stone on a Saturday. Monday, I had the job. So I tell them, you just never know when it's going to happen. You just got to be prepared for when it does. Yeah. And why would you give up on something that you put in five years of training and your parents' money or scholarship to do?
1: hmm.
0: Doesn't make sense. That is, makes no sense. But this is a perilous business. For everyone that succeeds, I know there's a hundred people that have their dreams shattered, and maybe that's what makes it so special. Yeah. So when someone like Adam Green is able to make his dream come true, and all the other great independent filmmakers I've had the pleasure of working with, Karen Saxon and Dustin Fath on Sushi Girl, mm-hmm. which was another extraordinary dream, and they were able to get me and Mark Hamill in the same film in the same frame. Wow. Uh, you know, whatever it takes. I'm proud
1: of success. So, and
0: then I then I can do the big budget films like Hellfest and The Rock, and,
1: which allows me to do 10 other independent films. Yeah. So. You seem like an actor who gives back to aspiring and indie directors. I
0: love because I know where they come. I grew right. up poor. I grew up poor. I didn't even know I was poor until I was 13. I was raised by my aunt who saved my life. Uh, from an abusive mom, and she showered me with love. And every summer, I was in a different program—whether it was geology, acting, public speaking, the Boy Scouts. My first trip on a plane was to World Jamerie in Tokyo. Wow, World Jamerie—I was 14, 14, You know, I fucked up, but I went over there because <laughs> I was like a fish out of water, and I did some things I shouldn't have did. But I, I learned, <laughs> right? Okay, and I came back, and instead of being ostracized, I was embraced because I was honest when it came to it. Yeah. Okay. Um so yeah, you know, you got to love life hmm. and handle life. Right. I you know, I see for everybody succeeds, I see burnout stories and we see it every day in the press. Uh you know, I I don't understand why people need to have substances to uh fill whatever hole in their life. You know, because particularly in this business, if you're mm-hmm. lucky enough to work, that's it. That's the reward. Yeah, And that should be the drug. That That's it. And having the right relationship. Hmm. I'm not saying anything because my other half's in the room, but just having, you know, it's it's hard to find. Yeah, definitely. To understand, to understand the time, that when you do work, you're working 12, 14 hours a day, mm-hmm. and then when you're not working, you may be scratching your navel on the couch. You know, you know, yes, the garbage has to be taken out, but okay, <laughs> do you have to give me a laundry list of every single item of garbage? Right. You need that time to recuperate. <laughs> I need right? to recuperate or at least play some PlayStation or something right. to take my mind off of things.
1: Right. Yeah, you're a big gamer, aren't you? Yes, I am. Yes. And I've,
0: I've been able to do a few games as well.
1: Yeah, that's right. Are you? Have you gotten into virtual reality
0: yet? I tried. I think I did it too early. Okay. I, I don't want to be that that's a new commercial right now with the sun is – Just kind of moving his hand. I don't want to be that guy. I'm waiting for it to evolve just a little bit more.
1: Yeah. I'm actually I'm working on a VR zombie movie. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Your director. Yeah. Awesome. And it is it's a first person zombie shooter. Okay. But we're also a movie or a game? It's a little bit of both. Okay. Okay. First person zombie shooter, but we're putting real actors in it. Uh-huh. We're filming them with stereoscopic cameras against a green screen. Right. And the cutscenes instead of having CGI actors and characters, are going to be real. People. Real people. I get yeah. to. Okay. Kind of like, did you see Sin City? Yeah. yeah that yeah. whole movie was shot on a green screen mm-hmm. and then they put everybody into this stylized environment in I like post. It.
0: Are you going to do different
1: color thematic schemes yeah. for the differences? Yeah. It's going to awesome. be very hyper stylized.
0: Consider what's the current title.
1: It's called Zombie Road. Okay. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Awesome! So you wrote it. Yeah, awesome. wrote it, directed it. I'm probably going to star in it too. Oh, I don't know about star. Know. i are going to be in it. Going to be in it. Yeah,
0: going to use yeah. all that New York training and talent.
1: Exactly. Put all the chutzpah into that one project. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> very cool. Awesome. So, thank you. I, I want to get into to Candyman, obviously, but I'm very fascinated with you as an actor. Because one thing I think th- about the role in candyman to me that I felt was most intimidating was your stillness. Mm. you weren't frenetic you weren't mm. chasing a bunch of I mean there was the one scene when you came through the window in the uh, in the hospital but for right. the most part you just had this sturdy strong stillness to you and mm. that understated depth was very powerful. Mm-hmm. how did you conceive of and get into and create that character?
0: Well, I got to hang out with Bernard Rose, who uh, transposed a story from Clyde Barker's, uh,
1: mm-hmm. you know,
0: Book of the Forbidden, uh, Book of the Dead, and the story of the Forbidden, uh, and he brilliantly transposed it to Chicago and tapped into an America's angst and our whole racial divide. Right. Um, but Bernard and I got to hang out in Chicago for a week before we began filming. We're both music fans. Mm-hmm. So I took them around to every blues bar that I knew in the city and in Chicago. There's at least 12, 14 of them. Right. Uh, including the world famous Checkerboard Lounge, which is no longer there. But if, man, I saw Muddy Waters the night that the Rolling Stones showed up. Oh. It's a famous album. Wow. And uh, they played ten cuts, and like, and then another time at the Kingston Mines, it was on Halstead Street. I saw um, Eric Clapton just come in to bar. Some people knew who he was. Whoa! Next thing you know, he's on stage with his back towards the audience. And next thing you know, he's turning around. It's insane. So that there's something about blues musicians that like they know how to riff and they right. know how to jam, and they and you know maybe they're making a hundred, two hundred dollars a night, but. You know, they get one drink per set, and they're happy. Yeah. And they're making other people happy, which increases their happiness. Right. Um, and I'm digressing. Now. No, 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 please. Yeah, so I just say that. That's so, Bernard, you know, there's special people like that that just encourage you to give your best. Mm-hmm. And if they hire you, they hire you because there's a quality that you have that's appropriate for the character. Right. So he's just encouraging to bring out that side, and usually people instinctively know whatever that is. And, uh, you know, I love film. I grew up on film, me and my aunt, the woman who raised me, we would watch the 8 o'clock movie every night, and then she used it as morality tell. You know, you watch mm-hmm. White Heat with James Cagney. He's up, and up on the top of the world, ma. And at the mm-hmm. end of it, she said, so what was that, son? Who was good? Who was bad? You know, right. the shades of gray, but at least we were able to increase my morality. Right. And I think there's a lot of kids that don't necessarily have that today Yeah. or that clear cut.
1: Right, and I think it's it's an opportunity for movies to give that to people. Yeah, for sure.
0: Well, you look at the success of uh, just—I mean, not because I was in it, but *The Flash*, which has become a very mm-hmm. popular father and son show. Right. They see it, they watch it, they adore the CGI, and then they talk about it. So was Flash mm-hmm. right? Was the villain was Zoom right? No? Was there something, a little bit of both? Right. So those things are important.
1: And horror specifically has always been a great outlet for social commentary. Yes. Like, for really. sure.
0: And George Romero tapped into that exactly. brilliantly. Yeah. yeah.
1: I feel he was... I was going to say he was one of the first, but he wasn't. Because no. Because before that, we had all the monsters that were indicative of the fear of the atomic age. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, them.
0: We just went through our right. them phase
1: again. And oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, and I was just last night, I was watching something, uh, uh, I Stalked New York, which was about a woman in the 1950s that brought smallpox to New York. It was a kind of mixture between horror and film noir, but it was right. interesting. Film wasn't that great, but it was interesting. I got to check that out. Yeah.
1: Do you, it seems like there's a real... Resurgence in popularity for horror. And mm-hmm. they say that horror becomes popular or more popular when there's civil and social unrest.
0: Notice that, huh? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Do you. Well, I we mean, live in strange times now. So I think mm-hmm. Look at all the popularity of horror on television, most importantly. Oh, yeah. it's like every channel has something that they can offer to the masses. Yeah. At the same time, some of the powers that be hold their noses up. Right. right. The genre. Yeah. They yeah.
1: need it. It's considered as a lowbrow genre, but yeah. it's so cathartic. And I think it, when it's intelligently executed, I think Get Out is a perfect case of that. Perfect case. It is, it is something. yeah, it's so powerful as a vehicle for social commentary. Mm-hmm. Are you, have, other than Get Out, has there been, have there been any other recent projects that you've seen that have done a really good job at tapping into the zeitgeist of, of today through horror? Well, I like the Meg. I, I saw the Meg,
0: I had lower expectations, mm-hmm. and I actually liked the work on that because they did you see it i did so i loved i mean they they gave us a reason for it happening i mean the the backstory i thought was intelligent and mm-hmm. uh, i thought it was jason stratham's probably one of his better roles yeah but anyway the meg and then i, I just like i'm not saying it was the world's best movie i'm mm-hmm. just saying that it was it was it was a story there and it made yeah. sense and i loved the little girl that was in it she, mm-hmm. she was adorable but uh So that, and I thought it had some social connotations of what's beneath, you know, what's at the very bottom and why are we messing with it. Right. Uh, Things like that. Get Out, of course. Uh, They're hard to find, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, but they're there. Uh, I think the best stuff is yet to come.
1: That's interesting.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of people go to horror because they think it's easy. They think it's an easy subject to do. Mm -hmm. You know, you got so many fan films. I think of all fan films horror is probably the number one subject probably right you got person can put on a sheet and take a walk in the woods and they think they have a movie <laughs> right no you need Doesn't to add a skateboard first and then <laughs> so it can glide properly, so it can glide properly. <laughs> <laughs> a surprise The amount of either scripts or
1: screeners i guess yeah i can only imagine but i think you're absolutely right i think personally i think horror for the sake of horror if you attempt to just do a horror movie and it doesn't have any metaphorical or symbolic depth to it yeah it to me falls flat i mean there's some movies that are fun because they're gory and bloody and they have inventive ways of killing people we all enjoy that Mm -hmm. it's but it's 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 not it's like popcorn but Uh,
0: what i'm waiting for them to take horror and i love teenagers i was a teenager to, but to take it out of the realm, why does it always have to be a teenage subplot? Why right. does it always have to be teenagers in peril? Right. When are we going to go to the adult levels? One of my favorite horror films of all time is Rosemary's Baby, mm. which is a very adult film. Yeah, and it uses New York brilliantly as a background, the Dakota, mm-hmm. you know, and all that atmospheric Roman Polanski stuff. And if you look at the film, very few moments of blood. But if you're intelligent and you dive into the film, it's scary as hell Yeah, because uh, it could happen. Starting with John Cassavetes, an actor who will sell his soul to get the right role. this right. set of circumstances occur. So I'm waiting for us in 2018, 19 to go to that next level of adult. As you said, politically, you know, usually great horror comes after war. Let's hope we don't have to go to war but we are at war within ourselves in this country. Mm -hmm. We are more divided than ever before. If you had told me, I grew up in the 70s, you know, came consciousness, people were united. Right. The same songs were on the top 10, top 40, and everybody, every race knew the lyrics to every song. We were all happy. Nowadays, it's more, it's so compartmentalized. You know, you got the red versus the blue, we got this versus that, you know. You know, and out of that division. division, out of that division, though, will come, there will be unification through art, through painting, through poetry, through yeah. the written word, through film, mm-hmm. um, hopefully. Um, and it can only, you know, get better. Right. Right.
1: But people have to be honest with
0: themselves. They have to know what's really frightening. What is really, what is true
1: horror? Well, I think that division that you're speaking of is very relevant today. And there's so much kind of tribalism. And there's over identification right. with politics wow. and things like that. People have been are divided in so many different ways. Nowadays. Absolutely, and I think and, and, that and that's so, scary. And,
0: people need to realize that we can be divided and still coexist right right now. It's like, if I don't agree with you, then all of a sudden you put a gun up in your window and a flag. And and that I
1: think is so scary because it divides us as a nation. And I think that that's a, that's a big horror concept and how there's so much infighting Mm -hmm. amongst a group of people that they, Ignore the larger threat, whether that's zombies or a dragon attacking the city or something. But mm-hmm. I, to me, that's the most terrifying thing about our current state of the world: mm-hmm. is this division internally as Americans? We've never felt more divided, from what I can see. Never, and that's frightening because there's bigger threats out there other than our own political affiliations and things like that. And I is think that the fact that our, that our elections can be
0: hacked so shamelessly and yeah. we're not doing much about it frightens me because we live on a grid and mm-hmm. let's imagine what if atms were not available all of a sudden what if uh, supply chains weren't delivering water and milk and eggs to supermarkets all of a sudden right you know then what are people going to do because i also feel that people are getting lazy mm. in terms of what they expect i mean you stick a card a piece of plastic in a machine you get cash mm-hmm. you put your debit card it's paid for you go on amazon and it's right. there the next day right you know, i grew up knowing that you had to work for whatever it is you wanted Right, and it didn't. It wasn't instant. Yeah, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying I'm anti-progress. I'm just saying sometimes too much progress can stop us from being human.
1: Yeah, exactly. And and caused laziness. And there's that saying that a uh, smooth sea does not make good sailors. Yeah, yeah. You gotta have a <laughs> little yeah. no conflict, a little tumble in your belly. Yeah, definitely. I mean, on the topic of uh, of Candyman and social awareness, when that movie came out, did you find that it was particularly relevant to the time period as far as any sort of social messaging um
0: yeah i did not i didn't get as much flack like bernard had a lot of flack from the naacp they wanted to see an event script they were afraid
1: that. yeah i heard it was brought to the to the NAACP. yeah it was he
0: had to he had to run a presentation but i'm surprised he didn't have to bring me in to the right. dog and pony show but but then again i have never been nominated for naacp image award so <laughs> there you go i heard that bernard had to convince him oh is that right yeah Huh, yeah. I didn't realize that. Yeah, because they were just afraid that the image of a black, quote-unquote, boogeyman would be offensive. I see. Uh, but they didn't know what kind of film we were making. We, that's a very intelligent film. Yeah. And, um, and you know, I've survived. Mm-hmm. So
1: so I, f- I feel like we did touch on this a little bit, but why is why is horror important to you? On top of being a horror icon, you're also a fan. But yeah. why do you think it's important? And you've also um, you've called yourself a horror psychologist. Can
0: you explain that? Well, no, that's for an upcoming reality show that I'm
1: doing. Um, oh, all right. I um, heard where that they the called me a horror psychologist. Oh, okay, never mind. It's okay, but then, what sorry. is
0: why is why is horror important? Yeah, because I'm, I'm a little bit of an empath, yeah. and uh, you know, I grew up a single kid, and I was surrounded by a graveyard, and that's where we played. So I mm-hmm. was able to. Tap into some things early on. I was a strange kid. I did creative visualization. I did astral projection. I did hypnotism. Ooh. I studied magic, practical magic, not right? Magic. And uh, so through the years, I've encountered you know people with strange experiences, and this mm-hmm. reality show that I'm being tapped to do is about that. Traveling across the country, finding strange sinkholes and inexplicable occurrences and then talking to somebody that is affected and trying to help them come to closure wow. and to expose it to the general public. So that's where that horror psychologist thing comes up. But it's, okay. We're, you know, it's not 100% that it's happening, but it's pretty sure. And even if it doesn't, I did it, and I'm happy I did it because mm-hmm. if you had asked me 10 years ago, would I do reality? I would say, what the hell is that? <laughs> do I look like a real housewife of anywhere? <laughs> <laughs> no. but here we are it's a new
1: market i heard that you're a big practical joker on set is that true yeah
0: when tom savini and i were working on night living dead he's also a magician i'm a a, a practicing amateur magician and we were just like we're starting the day doing tricks for each other um yeah you know once i'm sure that someone's confident about what they're doing and they have the role under their belt Mm -hmm. the best way you can get them to bring out what they've already prepared is to shock them out of their system. To just to like if they ask for orange juice in the morning, and you know that, mm-hmm. you know, put a little chocolate in there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm gonna have me a fresh uh, glass of orange juice, is freshly squeezed just for me. <laughs> so, keeping
1: people on their toes, yeah, bounce it off a little bit, you know, yeah. like a
0: good boxer, you know, rope a
1: dope. Right, right. That's important. It keeps them sharp as an actor, I would imagine. or a director or whoever else. Or
0: whoever it is. (laughs) And I'm also a protector. Like uh, Bernard, you know, Bernard's a genius. I understand him. Not everybody on the crew understood him, though. They thought, you know, he did this whole hypnotism with Virginia thing, and it would take about 15 minutes. By the end of it, people were like less enthusiastic. You know. Oh, he was hypnotizing Virginia Madsen yeah, yeah, on yeah. set. Yeah, yeah. Wow. It's not a scoop. It's been said before. But okay. The way you're breaking it. It's like, oh, oh, I got a scoop. <laughs> yeah, he was <laughs> hypnotizing her. She was sitting, not flat on her back, and um, yeah, he did that. And uh, but uh, I had to protect him several times. You know, he knows this. Wow. People wanted to put X lax in his coffee. can't can't do that on no, set. No, because that's another day, folks. <laughs> yeah, of <laughs> that's course. That's another
1: day shooting. Come on. Right. As far as acting is concerned, are, is there any methodology that you return to? Or like, are you a method actor, for instance? Is well, there any technique? Well,
0: method is so broad, yeah. you know. Uh, but yeah, it's whatever method works for you. Uh, it's all truth base. So it's moment to moment. It's Meisner. Mm-hmm. It's... Uh, the more life that you know in New York, cities like New York, Chicago, San Francisco, Seattle, Boston, which are all art-centric kind of places, mm-hmm. you know, give you that opportunity to find what works. So being what, well-rounded. Being well-rounded, being open. You know, I'm a big museum guy. We mm-hmm. go museums everywhere. There's so much art out there for people. We do natural museums, art museums, uh, spend time in the desert studying the rattlesnakes you know you got it. and here in california you know you can travel 100 miles it's completely different terrain right a lot of people don't do it they just stay la based mm-hmm. I'm not saying you do or anybody else or anybody in your audience but you know right you, but it's common. you could always do more yeah you know go to savane you've been to savane yet savane yeah it's no. outside of santa barbara it's a little uh, denmark town it's like, it looks like a little Swiss village. Wow. Right here they're, in America. Right here. I'd never even heard of it. There. So that's what I'm saying. California is an amazing state. Yeah. You know. So and exposure to a
1: lot of things. Yeah. Conforms.
0: Open up. Yeah. Saying, like in the last two months, I've seen what, 20 hummingbirds and 10 dragonflies. I count them because I consider them
1: mystical beings. Uh-huh. Uh, you know. Wow. So it's a matter of just exposing Excuse yourself. me. My planet is calling me in one second. minute. One second.
0: Yes. No, 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 no. No.
1: Are they coming to earth? No. No, all right. Not now. <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't dare. <laughs> they needed to get has to get together first. So um last few questions. You're you're big music fan obviously. Yeah, music absolutely. is a big. Are you a musician by the way?
0: Uh I play I play guitar but just for me. Oh, uh, very cool. you mm-hmm.
1: You're working I take it on, on the road with me.
0: That's my pacifier
1: that play of the guitar, yeah. yeah I f- if I'm writing or something, mm-hmm. I find if I have any just semblance of writer's block, I'll sit down and just mm-hmm. jam on a guitar, and it just gets it, everything flowing again. It makes a lot you of calm actors, yeah, peaceful. A lot of uh, uh, a lot of artists turn to music as a way to just kind of help all of their other arts, and it's Absolutely. cathartic, and it keeps your brain sharp. And yeah, it's, and it's even a great breathing,
0: tool. breathing is a form of music. If you learn how mm. to take the proper breath,
1: mm-hmm. that's, like pramayana, that's... or just yeah what do you mean by Pramayana? Pramayana breathing it's a it's a brits ivy see i'm not going to pretend i know it's like a yoga breathing technique that came from india okay and it's all about taking deep breaths and oxygenating yourself and stuff like that so that yeah as an actor that's super important too very important relaxing right so you did a one-man show on Jack Johnson yeah that's very cool is that very good Is that coming back is that I, am, I think so. I have people that wanted to
0: come back uh, the uh, Ernie Hudson dear friend of mine co-wrote the script. Oh wow along with Frank Magna uh, is, uh, Jack is a, a very interesting character. I mean he's the first heavyweight champion. African-American champion in America back when they had to fight 50 rounds at a time, mm-hmm. ostracized by the government, sent into exile for eight years because he married a white woman. And, uh, but, you know, he lived to be 67 and held his own terms, invented full five different languages, inventor, race car driver, all these wonderful things. A renaissance man. Yeah. So it's a one-man show that I can have in my pocket. Mm-hmm. But we're also working on a piece about Satchel Paige,
1: Right. Is and, that going to be on the stage? Yeah, that would
0: be a theater piece. Oh, that's Although cool. I got some director friends that are saying it could be more, but gonna, I just want to start everything on stage.
1: Yeah. Um, Is it coming to New York, you think, or where, where are you going to bring it first? I don't know. Maybe here. It's,
0: it's not written yet. We're in the early talking stages, but I just saw some pictures of Satchel and his mm-hmm. resemblance. And I love baseball. I'm writing a script about baseball right now called Sakeo, which means diluting. Uh,
1: diluting? The looting. Oh, the looting.
0: L O O T I N. Okay. Uh, it's based in the Dominican Republic. Uh, in the last ten years, you know, we have a lot of DR players yeah. come. They get suddenly rich to go home, and a lot of them die in the off season. Well, there's been six oh, in the last ten years. Yeah, because they're young, they're twenty. They got a lot of money. They come from poverty. Right. Can't handle it. Pay pressure. Da da
1: da. And this movie's about the
0: that. It's about the cost of success. Wow. You know? diluting, deluding of self, deluding of prestige, deluding of purpose. It, but it's also tangible. Yeah. So I want it to be accessible. It's baseball at its core. Right. I love the baseball, the passion of baseball. No, that
1: sounds sounds great. So you are Base you in the looting. process of writing it right I now? I
0: finished a version, and I'm sharpening another version. And oh, wow. I have interest from the DR uh, uh, Cultural Ministry. That's so amazing. See. But nice. I, mean, I won't, it won't be my directing debut. I'll, I have to act in it, mm-hmm. but I'll be my screen credit, even though – yeah, even though I, I am a
1: registered writer. Right. That's fantastic. I'll be looking out for that Thank for you. sure. I'll be looking out for your film. Thanks. <laughs> kind of um, video game. The one, I'm sure you're getting tired of talking about this, but I do have to address the one kind of elephant in the room, Jordan Peele's Candyman. Mm-hmm. What are your, has he gotten in touch with you? What are your thoughts on the entire Well, Well, I, I,
0: listen, uh, 10 years ago, if you had asked me about any talk or reboots, I would have been very protective and said, no, that's my character. I'm not going to touch it. But I learned... You know when they did uh the new nightmare and they've done their jasons versus freddy's and at one point they suggested i do something against leprechaun and i said that's the most ridiculous candy man minor. versus leprechaun yes, you would have kicked his ass in the first five minutes hello, that would be a short small, film that be five thumb. minute little once anyway. So I so I poo pooed it. And but anyway, now I know the rumor is like strong and real. I knew I've done two documentaries this season, one with Eli Roth and another with the Nubian filmmaking about exploring blacks in horror films, history of that. Oh wow. And I know that Jordan is a fan. I know, you know, he and I have never met, but like like Gregory mm-hmm. is was the editor get out. They right. know each other. Gregory told me, don't worry. He hasn't called him either. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm committed and resigned to the fact that if they happen, I don't own the character. But I have faith. I know that they will do the right thing. Right. And I will be in it in some capacity, even if it's just a producer. Right. But I think it'll be a little bigger than that. Yeah. And uh, I know I was flattered by all the outpouring online about people. It seemed like 80% of them said it should only be me. Yeah. Which is, uh, I, I was really moved by that. Folks. You got a lot of loyal fans out there. A lot of loyal people out there. But then there were like the five people who said, oh, I can't wait for the new one. And then they started listing actors. That's when I clicked off <laughs> Twitter.
1: What? Unfollow. Um,
0: duh. <laughs> Todd
1: Bridges. What? What? <laughs> Willis? Willis. <laughs> what you talking about, Willis? What you talking about, Candyman? <laughs> On that note, Mr. Todd, this has been a real honor. Thank it's you, sir. Great. Interview. Really, really appreciate Thank it. Thank you.
0: Looking me in the eye and talking to me. And all the best to you and your pursuits. I'm lucky for filmmakers. Thank you very much. Okay. Awesome. Let him hear the slap. High five. Nice.
1: <laughs> all right. How much do we love Tony Todd? I mean, what an awesome guy. It was such an honor talking to him. Let's take a minute to think through some of the larger pieces of insight. First one, this is definitely applicable to actors, but definitely applies to creatives and creators of all kinds. And that's the idea of being well-rounded. Tony emphasized that his acting training included a multitude of different disciplines that seemingly were unrelated to acting. Things like ballroom dancing, horseback riding, fencing, all of these things deepened his understanding of movement, art, and ultimately served his acting. Because exposure to all of these disciplines taught him larger concepts about humanity. This better enabled him to find the truth in the scripts that he read and the parts that he played. This is a huge concept that a lot of artists miss. To this day, Tony frequently attends multiple museums and travels extensively just to expose himself to different ways of thinking, different elements of culture, and different parts of humanity. Actors, directors, writers, creatives of all stripes thrive best when they're exposed to multiple cultural disciplines. So go to museums, travel, immerse yourself in different things that enable you to grow as a person. It all serves your art at the end of the day. Number two, find a partner who gets it. Tony's wife was in the room as we have this conversation, and she is extremely wonderful. And you can just tell that they really, really love, adore, respect, and appreciate each other. And this really sheds light on the importance of finding a partner who gets it. Acting, along with just about any creative endeavor, is incredibly difficult and requires long stretches of time away from home and years worth of uncertainty. When seeking a partner, It behooves you to find somebody who can support you emotionally and not discourage or distract you from your craft or your pursuit. It's easy to get bogged down by the minutia of reality, which compounds into major digressions that can take you away from your work. Find someone who can understand the struggle and the hours and energy spent on your projects and can give you the fuel to keep going. Not somebody who's going to nag you, guilt you, or distract you from your mission. This is huge. Number three, trust the process. There's no expectation for when you're supposed to make it or when you're supposed to excel or bloom. Tony was 32 when he was given his first big break in Oliver Stone's platoon and 38 when he got the signature role as Candyman. Show business is a perilous business, and you can't lose sight of that. As Tony states, don't suddenly give up on what you spent years building because you never know when it's going to happen. So all you can really do is trust the process and be prepared. Anyway, guys, that's all we got today. You can stay in touch with Tony on Twitter at Tony Todd54, that's T-O-D-D, and Tony Todd Official on Instagram. Here you can find announcements on all of his projects and appearances. Thank you guys as always for listening. If there's someone you wanna see on the show, send me a tweet at I'm Nick Taylor, that's I am Nick Taylor. You can follow the show on Instagram at the exact same handle. And if you dug this episode, it would mean the world to me if you could share it with your friends and family on social media. Thanks everybody.